0: You do the pleasure! Hi there. I want to talk to you
1: about ducks. No thanks. What about don't want to go. I'll go Alright. Now well, that's a good idea. Okay, let's go. Give me the view. Oh, the Zara What? you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Okay. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate, or plate of shrimp. Out of
0: the blue. No explanation. No point in looking
1: for it. It's all
0: part of cosmic unconsciousness. I'm not make monkeys. Christmas i better get going
1: to Just trade them, Pee-wee. Listen to reason. Come on. Listen to reason. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I'm your host, and joining me for a very special episode, I have a uh, guest, Vern, from the Cinema Recall Podcast, who I will formally introduce to you in just a couple seconds, but I just wanted to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is, of course, available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at cultfilmpodcast. Comp, C U L T F I L M C O M P. We are also a proud member of the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website that hosts podcasts and videocasts from around the world with very interesting, engaging, and entertaining content. So I urge you all to check out our show and all the other fine creators at blindknowledge.com today. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest article, trending articles about topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me and please use the promo code cultf one LM Cult Film, drop the I, pop it on one, and get a month free of Newsley's premium service courtesy of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. And with all that being said, I'd like to welcome Vern to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Vern, welcome to the show. Please take some time to introduce yourself and Cinema Recall to my audience, if you don't mind.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Happy to be here at the Cult Film Podcast, the Cult Film Companion. Uh, I am The Vern. I'm one of the hosts of the Cinema Recall Podcast, which you can find at cinemarecall.net. And it's a show hosted by me and my best friend of, gosh, over 20 years. And me and Ashley uh, just talk about... Movies. Uh, the last couple episodes, we've just been kind of going to the box office, and usually our show has on a great guest, and then me and that great guest uh, talk about a particular topic. Uh, we have many episodes. Uh, we've done the episodes, we cover a month of Andy Sedaris films, or we cover a month of Brian De Palma films. I had episodes where someone would come on, we talk about a movie and then they would perform and act out a scene from that movie. Uh, we're just kind of going all over the basis. I did a whole month dedicated to horror films. And, uh, yeah, we're just... We're like a podcast that has a ADD. Because we don't know exactly where we're going to be the next month or so. But, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. We just uh, started doing our show at a studio. So now we're recording our show and able to put some videos up on the YouTube. And all that stuff is just... A lot of fun just talking about movies, and I used to do the show by myself and bringing the guests, so it's really kind of cool now to actually have our co-host, and it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, I know we have plans to to check out a couple more conventions this summer and go on some more trips. Uh, We just got uh, back from covering the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, So yeah, just more things coming this way. I'm very happy to be
1: here. Great. So please follow Cinema Recall on Twitter so you can find out exactly what's going on with Vern and Ashley and all their, their fantastic guests. So you said something that piqued my interest and we are going to get into the movie we're discussing, but I, I just wanted to ask which which movies were included in your De Palma month? Because he okay. he's one of my 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 favorites, although I have a very love hate relationship with the Palma because I love the first half of his career and I'm left scratching my head wondering what happened recently. Totally
0: understand it, but yeah, we covered Body Double. Great. And One we of my covered favorites. The Untouchables. Nice. And we covered Carrie. Sweet. I know we covered *Phantom of the Paradise*.
1: Oh, good, good.
0: And uh, Dress to Kill* was another one. Um,
1: Basically, yeah. I always say to people, I'm oh. like, Dress to Kill* is essentially Alfred Hitchcock's *Psycho* w- done by Brian De Palma in the '80s. It's yes. Uh you get the female protagonist who you think you're gonna fo- you're you're following gets killed off in the first third. You've got um, a cross-dressing killer. I mean, it's ri- it's basically s- psycho. But, I mean, De Palma, De Palma has always been one to kind of wear his, uh, his influences on his sleeve. But, uh, yeah, like I said, there's like a definite point. I want to say that I kind of tuned out after the first Mission Impossible movie. I and some people forget think, that when you think about the Mission Impossible series, that the very first movie was helmed by Mr. Brian De Palma. Very much so. So,
0: Reed. yeah, that was probably his last stylistic Brian De Palma movie. Because after that, I think didn't he do like Mission
1: to Mars? Right. Uh, although I do, I do actually think that there is some. There's. A glimmer in the movie. Have you seen Femme Fatale with uh if, oh, yes, that one actually kind of uh, that's the only one like later career de Palma that I'm like, okay, there's still glimpses of the genius that I saw, yeah, there. And I think, unfortunately, I don't, I mean, she seems like a very, very nice woman, and you know, she she seems to be very happy. I I don't think no offense to her Rebecca Romaine whatever her last name is at this point is just not kind of capable of carrying an entire movie and I think that's why that one doesn't get remembered so fondly I think it was she was just kind of miscast I don't think she was ready for that uh especially if you look at some of De Palma's work that is female-led that uh Actresses are more than able to carry the movie. I mean, no pun intended, but carry. You know, Sissy Spacek is <laughs> is genius, and then of course, um, Margot Kidder in Sisters is basically. Oh, wait,
0: that. Yes, that was another one we covered. As sisters on our show.
1: Oh, that 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 one is. If you haven't seen Sisters, uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, but. Mm-hmm agree. Uh, uh, yeah so I have this I have the unfortunate habit I I might be falling into your adD category I very much go off on the uh off topic tangents on the show but let's try to get back why we're 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 here today is sure. to talk about a bona fide punk cult classic movie and we are talking about sid and nancy with the tagline love kills which is of course a (laughs) very um that's hilarious okay yeah it's it there's there's a really uh cool poster from the movie it's actually not one i think it's like an alternate theatrical poster and um yeah it, it says love kills and It's, this is actually the second movie by English director Alex Cox that I've covered on the show. Uh, Previously, we had done his, uh, his, I mean, his, his filmography is, is a lot of kind of punk rock movies. And we had previously covered Repo Man on the show, which is kind of, I, what I would say is his, his masterpiece, his magnum opus, if, I mean, that's how would you with that. He could have... I mean, uh, to me, Repo Man is one of those movies. It's... We, we When we talked about it on the show, we described it as a secret handshake movie that you can kind of... Not to say that you can't... It's kind of one of those movies that's kind of a litmus test for people. Like, if you meet someone and they know Repo Man, it's kind of like a secret handshake. Like, you guys you already have a connection because of Repo Man you'll you'll start doing dialogue back and forth because i mean again it's kind of like a secret handshake like you're part of a a, an, a club and yeah it's kind of a litmus test movie you kind of know the kind of person if someone uh hasn't seen Repo Man and then you show them Repo Man and loves it like you know all right the, this is good people. And even better, if you. Although,
0: to be fair, I've only seen Repo Man just like once or twice or so. So I know of the movie. I know the story, what happens, the plot elements. But if you tell me any lines from that movie, I'm going to be like, the hell? Oh, okay. What are you talking about? But I know about the actors in the movie. Uh, I do want to pick up the Criterion Edition of that movie just because I love the fact that it has the theatrical version.
1: Yes. And then
0: it has the edited for TV version, which I freaking love, and I kind of wish more movies would do that.
1: I I have to say that I I am a proud owner of the Blu-ray Criterion Edition, and oh. it's worth it for the package, like the packaging alone, it's a piece of art. I mean, oh, yeah. it's so it's it's soaked in neon green and white and black. Yes, and it includes the the TV dub version. Uh, that I, I'm a huge uh, Criterion fan. I'm actually looking over at my Criterion shelf right now, and it's kind of like I I, I think that I might be um, addicted to Criterion, and there might need to be an intervention at some point.
0: For, for... <laughs> well, like I was like, "All right, yes. you gotta get help Chris. I don't need help, man. Yeah. I can stop anytime. Yeah, could, it's not that
1: bad. You don't <laughs> understand." Yeah. You know, um. Yeah. Um. Uh, brilliant, brilliant movie. And I believe that I, I'm not sure because I just have uh, I have a uh, the bl- I do have the Blu-ray here of uh, Sid and Nancy, which we we are. We will thank if you're still listening. We will get to the movie eventually, um, but I I think there I'm not sure if there's a Criterion of this there, anyway, of Sid Nancy. Yeah, there might not be.
0: Well, wait, wait, I thought you said you had. Are you, are you do you have the Criterion of no, Sid Nancy? I have. a, just, There is a Criterion. Of oh okay. Sid Nancy. I have just
1: the Blu-ray uh, Blu-ray Collector's Edition here. No Criterion does beautiful beautiful just. I mean, they they truly kind of they they treat movies as art, and then they preserve the movies that they um that they. Man, I
0: can even I can tell you right now what the special features of the Sid and Nancy Criterion Edition are. Oh, please! All right. So the Sid and Nancy Criterion Edition has a new four K digital restoration, uh, two audio commentaries, one from uh, featuring and Abby Actors actors Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb. Uh, culture historian uh, Grail Marcus filmmakers Julian Temple and Leah Kowalski and musician Elliot Kidd and the other one is from 2001 featuring co-writer director Alex Cox and editor Andrew Schofield so you got two audio commentaries I would be very curious about the one from uh, featuring Chloe Webb and Jerry Oldman it has a uh, a documentary from 87 about the making of Sid Nancy as uh, infamous 1976 Bill Grundy interviews with the Six Pistols on British television, rare telephone interview from 1978 with Sid Vicious, interviews with Vicious and Nancy Spungen from the 1980 documentary DoA: A Rate of Passage, archival interviews and footage, and more. Sweet. And plus, it has a book essay, essay as well. Uh, but yeah, Criterion always does a really good job of putting all the great special features and. I think it's one thing I love about Criterion is even if you are not fully into a movie, they put so much, much history and commentaries that it makes you want to, like, reevaluate a little bit. And I may have to pick this up at some point.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I'm... uh, So I've got a couple's uh, documentaries here, special features. I don't have uh, the commentaries, and I'm always interested, if it's a movie that I really like, depending on the person doing the commentary um, I could easily re-watch the movie and I I, I have watched uh, Repo Man with the Alex Cox commentary. I'm very interested about Gary Oldman's thoughts on this because we're talking uh, about a movie that came out in it came out, so Sid and Nancy came out November 7th 1986 it was the second Movie from director Alex Cox. It was co-written by Alex Cox and Abby Wool. The movie was produced on a budget of four million dollars, and surprisingly, this was very well received by critics. But it only made two point eight million at the box office, so it didn't even recoup its budget and the movie was filmed and i mean so we're talking about sid vicious the notorious bassist. and when i say bassist, i mean air quotes because the man could not play the, i mean well, <laughs> yes we kidding? No. <laughs> I, I, as as a former well I, I still play but as someone that used to play in bands and used to play guitar regularly and also played bass. He just... He, he just couldn't do it. Um, and for those of yeah, you who... How, oh, oh, uh, well, how did you get... Oh, how did he get into how, the Sex Pistols? How did he get to be the band? Oh, he was... Well, first of all... So, this is very interesting about the Sex Pistols. And uh, if Johnny Rotten hears this, he's probably going to reach through the internet and slap me. But, uh long story short the Sex Pistols were again, he's not going to like the way I phrase this, were kind of put together the way boy bands in the 90s were put together. You had a manager that you know, when they came up with the Backstreet Boys or whatever else and Stink and all those other bands, they you know, they they got four or five they got four or five people and just started a group. Then these people didn't really know each other all that well and you know. So they were they were put together by um uh a fa- like like a fashion mogul. I, I'll pull up the gentleman's name. He's actually in the movie who became the manager of the Sex Pistols, but he owned a boutique store in London and he was very much catering to the rising punk scene with the kind of clothing that he was selling and he basically started the sex pistols as a way to kind of uh capitalize on the punk movement so the original basis i want to say his name is glenn matlock who was actually uh, of course being a typical punk f- fashion so it was glenn matlock on bass steve jones on guitar um and then Johnny Lydon or Johnny Rotten on vocals, and the drummer's name is escaping me at the moment. But they were the original Sex Pistols. And actually, the bassist, Glenn Matlock, was, uh, by all accounts, the most talented, musically speaking, of the Sex Pistols and kind of was responsible for a lot of the songwriting for... Their only studio album, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex pistols, but he didn't he didn't exude the punk persona he didn't look punk enough he didn't look cool enough when you had someone like Johnny Rotten on stage. you want and and again they're trying to capitalize on the punk movement, so they want someone that looks punk, and Sid Vicious, who was a a childhood friend of, of Johnny Rotten, looked like, I mean, you just look at this guy walking down the street, there was no um, he wasn't putting on airs, that's just who he was, he's got he had a padlock necklace around his neck, he would wear you know, ripped jeans, he's got the the spiked, black jet black hair. He just looked punk. He just he was the vision of punk. He, I'm sorry. Oh,
0: he was like basically the manager's like that's our Ronald McDonald.
1: Basically, yeah. He was yeah. he was gonna be <laughs> he was gonna be the face of the franchise. He was that, and yeah. I, I mean, I love the Sex Pistols, but I mean musically speaking the the music well first of all it's not a bass driven band. That's true it's
0: I was watching some like live videos of the Six Pistols after I watched the movie I kind of caught some live videos of the Six Pistols uh and yeah there was like a live footage concert that had Sid Vicious on bass and I was listening to the song Pretty Vacant and yeah all I heard was just guitars and I heard like just some strumming of the bass. So I heard there's bass on there, but it was never like any chords. It was just like a line. Right. And a couple of the lines of bass tones. And that was it. Uh, but yeah, it was just the attitude that he definitely brought out. Um, and I will give him or credit or uh what was that show? Um, oh. Or basically his cover of My Way. Genius. Which I absolutely love, and I'm glad he did that. That's the only thing I really like from this guy, just because that song was used brilliantly in Goodfellas. So if it wasn't for Ted Visions doing My Way, we would never get that awesome and cred <laughs> song from Scorsese's Goodfellas, and that was like the only thing I want to give him credit for, is that.
1: Well, he also did the cover, um, and it's done in the movie, um... I think the song's called She's Something Else. Like, that's another good cover that he did. Um, Okay. um,
0: So, he does good covers. He does. That's great. We need, you know, that's fun.
1: And also, I have to give the man credit because I also did some research. He did attempt to learn how to play. Unfortunately, he was either very, very high, very, very drunk, or both the entire time, so he wasn't, like, retaining what, um, he wasn't retaining the skills, and a a funny back, back backstory that I, that I heard was that, I mean, in an attempt to learn how to play the bass, he learned one of, I want to say it's the first Ramones album, like, he learned the entire bass line for the first Ramones album, which is fine, but then, like, he'd go on stage with the Sex Pistols, and there's actually a YouTube clip of, it's called Sid playing bass live, and, like, so he starts playing, but He's not playing Sex Pistols songs. He starts playing bass lines from the Ramones. So Uh, I can imagine if I was the guitar player, Steve Jones, I'd look over at him and I'd just be fucking pissed. And I know that, I mean, Johnny Rotten, who was good friends with Sid, I mean, he started to get fed up with everything. I mean, they were just, they were a... A powder keg that was it was not going to last long it was it was it was going to explode and i mean so yeah.
0: and i think that's what's interesting about the movie Sid nancy is because it takes place right at the height of the six pistols career uh where they're getting booked to all these like live shows um, and we actually dive into the relationship between Sid and Nancy Spurgeon, Spurgeon. I think that's what her last I, name is. I'm really I, horrible I, at remembering I think it's last names. Yeah. and she basically was just a fan of the band. And here's the weird thing too: when the movie starts off, they are uh, Sid and Johnny are going to visit their friend who. Looks to be very well off. I think she's a dominatrix as her career. She is, yeah. She has this very nice hotel, or she lives in this very posh apartment, and Johnny, uh, actually, uh, Sid and Johnny, they meet up with Nancy, and I think Nancy tries to make the moves on Johnny, but Johnny's like, no, I want none of you, and Nancy just kind of attaches herself on to Sid, um and they fall in love right away and it just it seems like their relationship just happens a little bit too fast Of like they're just gonna be this couple all of a sudden. Like was it just their love of drugs that got them involved? Because here's the whole thing I thought about when I watched this movie. I just thought, Hi, I'm Sid Vicious, I can't play bass I do love drugs. I'm kind of an asshole. And then, hi, I'm Nancy Spurgeon. I'm even a bigger asshole. I do even more drugs. Let's fall in love and do drugs, okay, Nancy? Let's do drugs and be kind of jerks, and then we die. The end.
1: So, here's the thing about Sid and Nancy. If you're going for an authentic biopic, this go elsewhere. Do not seek okay. out, see out Sid and Nancy. So here's the thing i I watched this this interview with Alex Cox about Sid and Nancy, and he kind of it's frustrating because he's very he's explaining the process of of writing the the movie and developing the movie it's frustrating because he can come off as very contradictory to himself. So it's very confusing because what was happening in the early 80s is another movie studio was developing a Sid and Nancy movie. Now check out this casting. We're talking early 80s. So this came out in 86. We're probably talking about 84 at the time. Another studio was developing a Sid and Nancy movie, and they had Rupert Everett in mind to play Sid Vicious. And now, keep in mind, this is 1984. Madonna was their choice to play Nancy. And I,
0: I could, oh, I trouble see that. <laughs> uh, Especially because Madonna in the early 80s, uh, she had, you know, that she had almost kind of a little bit of like a punk glam she, fashion. Yes. And she was really big at the time too because of Definitely Sick and Susan and her album, like a version, came out. So, from a studio standpoint, I could be like, yeah, we could definitely see Madonna in this. Yeah, I, you know, Madonna's kind of eccentric in their way, too, and so is Nancy. I, I, could, I could almost see it. Yes. Uh, I, I guess it depends, too, who you have uh, directing the movie and writing it. Um, plus, Alex Contz had a little bit of stout, especially after uh, making uh, Repo Man. Uh, you have uh, brilliant cinematography by Roger Deakins, oh, which yeah. I'll get into later. Yes. Uh, but. I just think that if you want to do a movie with different actors, it could have worked. But I don't think anyone but Jerry Oldman could have played Sid Vicious. I mean, I think both him and Chloe Webb do a really fantastic job. And they get the voices and the mannerisms, the by language to those characters to a T. They must have just been watching uh, documentaries or interviews from them. Just nonstop and just really study everything about them. Chloe Webb gets Nancy Spurgeon's dialogue so great. Uh, the very, the way that uh, Nancy articulates her words, she has almost like a Sid. British <laughs> New Zealand accent to her that I found to be annoying. But I think Chloe Webb just does an amazing job.
1: Here's the thing, and a lot of people I, I've that have watched this movie say. Oh my God, she's so annoying. But here's the thing. From from what I've seen in archival footage and what I've heard from other people in the scene, that's that was Nancy. I mean, here's something to keep in mind that doesn't kind of get brought up very often. And I don't know how accurate this is because apparently... She was diagnosed at some point with schizophrenia. Now okay. I don't know if I necessarily buy that diagnosis as someone who's worked in the mental health field and worked with people with schizophrenia. I I, I, I just don't see that, although I I never met her, obviously. I would say that, if anything, she probably had something closer to schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of like... I don't even know if that is the case. I think she probably has some sort of personality disorder. Which, but again, I'm trying to diagnose someone that's passed away, you know, so I'll... I'll stop, but that's something to keep in mind, that there was some sort of mental illness going on there. Um, And I don't want to disparage her, but, I mean, from what I've read and what I've heard, she was very much... I mean, if you want to be crass, you would call her a star fucker or a groupie, but she was very much into kind of being and again if we're in the era of social media <laughs> if if Nancy was around for the era of social media she would be all over every single platform posting a couple times an hour looking for attention oh, looking for clout she was she kind of like that's kind of what she did like she just kind I mean, of, yeah. If
0: she wasn't like high all the time. I'm sure she could handle <laughs> other things, but I'm and I'm just judging this from the movie itself, sure. not the actual real person. Uh, but from the movie, it just seemed that hey, I'm just gonna get high a lot, uh, right? And, uh, I I know that uh, when the Six Pistons were going to go on their tour, they didn't want her around, and she's saying that well, Sid doesn't need you. Uh, the Sense Pistols is Sid. And I'm thinking, damn, if it was just gonna be Sid Vicious on stage, I know Sid Vicious did like his own uh, shows and whatnot, I'm thinking, oh gosh, what a mess that would be. Uh, so, yeah, you're probably right, she probably had schizophrenia and whatnot, and I'm sure that she probably would have been on all these different social media platforms, but I'm thinking that she's probably gonna spend a lot of her time getting drunk and high. And hire other people to handle the social media
1: accounts. Oh yeah, yeah, no. But she, to be
0: honest, those people about how they got things wrong. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Whatnot.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's we'll stop theorizing about the psychological <laughs> state of someone that's unfortunately already passed. But so again, going back, like he. So again, going back to Alex Cox and saying that he was contradictory. So at, on on parts of the interview, he's talking about getting as close to realism as possible to tell this story. But then he talks about... He goes, well, what if we... I was thinking at some point, what if I just did this, but I turned Sid into a woman, and we would have a woman playing Sid Vicious... And I'm watching this interview going, dude, two minutes ago, you're talking about realistic and now you're talking about your theoretical Sid Vicious movie, except it's a woman. (laughs) I'm like, do you want realism or do you want it to be fantastical? And so like, that's why I said it's frustrating and contradictory because I'm like, well, okay, you're telling me two very, very different things here. So like, I only, well, so like, I'm like, I just have to go by what, what we have on screen to judge and what we have on, yeah. s- what we have on screen. Are you, do you. You know this movie kind of reminds me of, of real
0: quickly before you get into that? Because when I was watching it, it kind of reminds me of like French New Wave, punk rock.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: I, I'm getting very elements of breathless. It's when I watch this movie a little bit sometimes, especially the sequences of them in the hotel room getting strung out on drugs and just kind of them talking. Very getting the vibe of Breathless and the way that Alex Cot shoots the movie in sort of like a full Aki drama style. Yes. And I just recently covered uh, another French New Wave movie called Chloe from 5 to 7 uh, which chronicles the lives of this Pop star in France, and just there's certain elements in the movie where it's hyper stylized, but yet also set in this real world. Uh, like the part where uh, Sid Vicious goes through a group of kids who are bullying another person, and he's like, Leave them alone, and the kids are like, Who are you? I'm Sid Vicious. And then it, it comes to them running away super fast, like 1920s Keystone Cops.
1: Yeah, I mean. And so, it's very and so another thing that Alex Cox said is that he felt that one of the one of the things that he failed with the movie is that him and Abby Wool were a little too um, empathetic, sympathetic, or they they kind of really fell in love with these characters and they tried not to romanticize their behavior because it was horribly self-destructive, but at the same time, like you said, the way that the movie's shot and the the way the performances are, you can't help... Well, I was going to say, I personally couldn't help but like these people despite... All their glaring faults and behavior. Again, this is someone on the outside watching from the safety of my own home on a screen. Now, say that I was uh, a roadie for, like, Sid Vicious and his band and I had to, like, act as a wrangler for Sid and Nancy, I, I would probably lose my mind. But as... I
0: would quit. <laughs> or, I would be like, nope. Yeah. Well, that's how much you pay. Well, it depends how much you pay me. If you're paying me a good amount of money, and yes, I would gladly clean up after you. I'm not, if these shit themselves, I'm not doing anything for you. But <laughs> I would I would totally be fine giving them food or doing right. errands and whatnot. And...
1: But there's also a great scene in the movie where the manager, I I want to say the guy's last name is McLaurin, the guy that put together this, the Sex Pistols, asks... Uh, one uh, some uh, a woman that that works for them. He goes, how would you like to? Uh, uh, I think he actually says as a handler for young Sydney. I like how they call him Sydney at times. Um, yes, and for those of you who don't know, actually his first name is Simon. That he was born Simon, and um, that actually comes up in the movie when he's writing his mom a letter. He goes, uh, your dear Simon um, is in America. Um so that that was actually his real name. But anyway, I, I digress. The the manager asks her, How would you like to operate as Sid's handler? And she just looks at him and goes, No. <laughs> she just shakes her head. <laughs> She's like, No. Um, so at the same time, the movie see, and I think that's something that it's very effective, but it it can also be very jarring to the movie is that the first half of the movie is it's pretty light and not and I mean that as it's very very colorful it's very very fun the interactions of Johnny Rotten and Sid vicious when they're 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 vandalizing a car and then they they you know they're just kind of hanging out and like they're just kind of riding the 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 celebrity that they already had as just being the Sex Pistols like those were the two like when you I mean not to undermine the drummer and again I'm sorry that I forgot the drummer's name but and, and Steve Jones the guitars at the time when people said the Sex Pistols they pictured Johnny Rotten and they pictured Sid Vicious those were the two those were the icons of the Sex Pistols. So, the like, the first half of the movie is, it, it's very fun, it's very light, and then it becomes, like, like, their, when their addiction really sinks the hooks into these two, it becomes extremely bleak. It becomes very, very dark, and you were mentioning the cinematography. It, it, if you notice, um the way that it's shot the first half compared to the second half, it's much darker. And that was, I I can only imagine that was a very conscious effort on the part of the cinematographer and the director to be like, to kind of show, um, you know, the, the, the bleakness of addiction. Um, but you wanted to talk about the cinematography, so please. I, I I've talked enough. I want uh, please. Oh
0: well, I, I was mention too that the drummer of the Sex Pistols is Paul Cook.
1: Thank you. Yes, much credit to Paul Cook. Very very yeah. good. I, thank you. For, Which for...
0: I think him and the guitarists are probably the really main backbone of the band itself. But it seems like you're right. Sid and Johnny were the image of the band. Right. They are what kind of drew people into like. Want to listen to the sounds, and then hey, this band can actually play. What actually was the guitar and drummer doing most of the work? Oh, yeah. For the actual band, and it just seemed that both Johnny and Sid were living the high life by you know going to all these fancy parties, and people want to like party with them. Yeah. So we're having now the I think this is the first film that Mr. Roger Deakins. Shot really? I'm not one hundred percent sure that uh, Roger Deakins. Uh, he did shoot a bunch of films for the Coen Brothers, you know, yes. B- Bittle and Fargo. And most recently, he won the Academy Award for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He did Sicario, a bunch of other great in eighteen seventeen. He recently did uh, brilliant cinematographer, and without him in this movie. I don't think this movie would have been well regarded. Uh, this movie definitely need to have a very eye. There's that brilliant scene. That shot of Sid and Nancy kissing outside and garbage just being
1: uh, flown on them
0: in like slow
1: motion. Yes. Beautiful. It, 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 Beautiful yeah, Beautiful. Beautiful sequence. They're in silhouette in an alley. like She's leaning up against a dumpster. And like you said... It's. It reminds me of like you were saying, like one of these, these movies. Um, there's a there's a brilliant movie called The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is of yes. A, um, and it it it's reminiscent of these scenes of two lovers, at night in a street, and but like in The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, will have beautiful rain will be falling, or it'll be a light snow, but here in Sid and Nancy we've got like somebody's emptying their trash can up on the fifth yeah. floor and it's just coming but like you said I I think that
0: that scene sort of encapsulates this movie like these two people are so in love with each other despite all the shit that's fallen on them ex- uh, yes. it's a good kind of metaphor of that movie like these two people uh, are so into each other that they don't care that Everything else is crashing around them. And it's both romantic and tragic at the same time. And I think if anyone's studying cinematography, I think this is a good scene to sort of, like, study. Because uh, I think every scene in a movie, even though there's nothing happening in the plot of this and you could basically leave... Yeah, you. I I think it's something that you should not be missed. No. Um, and I think nowadays with like things being streaming and you're getting distracted by your phones and whatnot, this is a scene that could easily be missed. And for me, it's like one of my favorites. Uh, not only that, but I do like the sequence when they're in bed and their hotel room is on fire.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, brilliant, and. Um yeah they're sitting on bed and they're so high that they don't even re- like realize that <laughs> their 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 room is not... I mean that actually that's fictionalized but I mean okay uh,
0: but the- I, I, but you have to show something li- I know it's fictionalized it probably didn't happen that way but you have to show something that these characters are so far gone that they don't even care if they get killed and a fire, uh, they'd rather sit there together. If the fire chief didn't come in, he would probably would have just burned them up. Probably oh, burned up. Right. They wouldn't care. It reminds. And I think you had to show something like that.
1: Oh, it does. It reminds me of that meme of the dog sitting at the kitchen table. He's got like a hat and a a, a tie on, and the room around him is on fire. And the little bubble says everything's fine. Have you seen that meme? It's, it was, it was, Ow. it used to float around a while. And that's what I kind of thought about. I'm just like, he's got a big smile on his face. There's a little dog sitting at the table. He's like having a cup of coffee, but the, uh, it, around him, his entire apartment's on fire. And he just, everything's fine. And it, it, that's kind of what it reminds me of. They're like, eh, you know what? We're high. we we, yeah, we're nodding out. Eh, the room's on fire. Eh, we're still high though. But to your point, uh, Alex Cox mentioned um, that he noticed like he he so he picked out the cast and crew and we'll get into the cast in a second. But to stick with um, the cinematography, uh, he recognized like he had a certain vision on what kind of lenses he wanted to shoot. And then Roger Deakins came in with his own thoughts about the lenses that they should use for different scenes and everything. And Alex Cox to his credit said he was right. Like he he knew more about lenses and the way that he like got what I was trying to 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 show through the movie and he just captured it perfectly. So I mean, you know, yeah.
0: And I love the fact, too, that Roger Deakins was the camera operator in this, so it just seems that this is a good combination of a director and a cinematographer, because the director, he's, you know, directed the cast to act the ways that he wanted them to act, and then you actually have a cinematographer doing the shoot of the movie and choosing the right lenses and uh, where to compose the camera, so... It was a... Kind of a... Beautiful marriage. Um... Because... In a lot of shoots... You can sort of see that... It's... The director... And then the cinematographers like secondary. But... For Sid and Nancy... Both Alice Cost and Roger Deacons Were... Very much... Eye and eye on each other. And... It's kind of a weird thing too... Because... This is a very... W- weird... Strange movies... About... These... Junkies... Hanging out. Uh, um... But yet... Roger Deakins shoots it in a way that it becomes very compelling and even though I don't like any of these characters in this movie, I'm still fascinated to keep watching it just because of how it's shot. I know this sounds kind of weird and strange no. uh, but it's like a beautiful car wreck in a way it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like looking at these people I shouldn't keep watching it but God, damn, this is some very beautiful scene work here.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost kind of like another English director, Mr. Danny Boyle, kind of did with train spotting in that yeah. these characters are not very likable and they do despicable things, but you can't help yourself watching. Oh. And to, to keep with, I like,
0: love the characters of Spotted more than all love the characters in this.
1: They they have much. They have more redeemable redeemable qualities than than Sid yes. and Nancy do. So, but to me, and to just kind of keep it on, if we're we're talking about um, bad pun coming, but to keep it in the vein of drug use, <laughs> um, something like Sid and Nancy and train spotting to me are much more rewatchable than something like Requiem for a Dream which is a brilliant movie it's an important movie and i think that it's it's a movie that should be shown as a drug psa in high school um that's not a movie that i'll revisit it but i need time i need some i need like a year in between okay. viewings. Something like I will tell you this. I was there was a time
0: when I used to watch Red for a Dream every night before I go to sleep.
1: Oh my god, your poor your poor dreams.
0: I, <laughs> your I had, poor had to so- watch that movie just to relax. What?
1: just to relax?
0: Just to relax. <laughs> just to just to calm myself down I after get, a stressful day. I, was, I had to just like I got in this movie. I need to be with these characters. You
1: know all right, at first I was going to say <laughs> I don't get it, but I can kind of say <laughs> after a stressful day, if you're going to a nine-to-five job and then, like, you feel stressed out, to watch the ultimate stress of a drug addict, you can kind of be like, you know what? My life's not that bad. I'm not fucking exactly. <laughs> Okay, I get
0: it. That's exactly how I felt because I, get I was it working now. in legends and have to deal with, that type of element in my job, and like collecting money from people who just don't really have much right now, and it just got to be too much. And I was like all right, I need to find people who are worse off than me, and <laughs> okay, pop I, that on. Yeah,
1: I get Sorry. it now. I get it now. All right, that makes sense. Because <laughs> I can't and, watch
0: that movie like I can only watch it once and never again. Fully understand, and yeah. I'm never ever going to discourage anyone or people that don't want to watch it because they don't be stressed out. Hundred percent get that. And uh, I know I'm weird and strange for watching that movie multiple times.
1: Now I again I think it's something that I I've rewatched many, many times, but like I said, it's I, I don't think I could put it on every night. Um but I think it's a it's a very important movie and again um it's probably like the ultimate don't do drugs PSA. Oh and hundred percent. And Sid and Nancy kinda gets in like it's Again, it's yeah. never romanticized, but I mean, oh. it, it's, it's pretty, there's scenes where they're, you know, they're, they're sick cause they're dope sick. I think one of the best scenes in the movie is them at the methadone clinic where this Vietnam vet is mixing up their methadone for them. Um, and he won't give it to them until like he gives them like a lecture like he lectures them and it's very interesting cuz at first i'm like this this is a little on the nose but then like he wraps up his lecture was like if you got like you have the the ability to like be true anarchy because he kind of gets the punk scene he's like you have you have the chance to do it but you got to get off of this shit like you could be punk rock and you could be, you know, truly something, but you, you, your, your addiction is just, it's holding you back, and I think that the thing with punk rock is that some people have this mindset that it's all, you know, I don't want to say skinheads, but, you know, it's either, very extravagant hairstyles or a shaved head, and it's a lot of booze and it's a lot of violence. And there are elements of that, but there's also, we gotta, I mean, to for people that forget the whole straight edge movement, which is you know, no drugs, no alcohol, no smoking yeah. like that, that came from punk. I mean, that was that was in punk, and one of my all time favorite. I'm just going to say performers because he's done so much as a musician, an author, a poet. Uh, Mr. Henry Rollins, it, he's, you know, he's dabbled here and there, but he was never a, an abuser of substances. And like that man, well, no, not at all, that man was punk rock. And we, you still get people like um, Jello Biafra from the uh, the Dead Kennedys, um, is still out there, like, being punk rock, and I know that I think somebody asked, I want to say that this quote is credited to Henry Rollins, I'm not entirely sure, but someone asked him, uh, you know, what is punk rock, and I think his response was something along the lines of, if you have to ask me that, then you're never going to know. And so...
0: Nope. The strange thing is that uh, I was a drummer for a punk band uh, for a few years, Sweet. and a lot of our friends are in the punk scene or the goth scene, um, and when I go to like shows for like a punk band or whatnot, uh, I never felt that I was hanging out with punts and whatnot. Uh, they were just people that were just wanted to change things. They did not like the way that the world is working out, and they want to try to, like, do things and play shows and be with friends and just really just have a fun time. But uh, At all the shows, I played with the band, and I was in a few of the bands. Uh, I never saw this person as being, you know, hey, you're a punk, or hey, you're a prep. Uh, just people have different fashion states. And it was kind of cool, too, because when I would go to these places, especially like um, there was like this uh, goth nightclub that I would go to, and I would just wear my regular, you know, blue jeans and a white t-shirt. And I was not punk in any way whatsoever, uh, not goth or anything like that. Uh, but you get accepted into the community uh, pretty quickly. Right. Uh, and it's one thing I love very much about all the friends I have is that you know we may look different or have different tastes in music and whatnot, uh, but we can still get together and hang out, have a beer, tell jokes. You know, and I'm, I'm big into movies and whatnot, and they're like big into the music, and so we can kind of compare stories. When I start talking about horror films, they're like, "Oh yeah, I've seen that," or talk about this other feature. Like, "Oh sweet, we'll talk, we'll bond over something like that," and. Uh, it was just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, because the I mean because the common link is the music. That's the thing. Like yeah. you all have that in common, regardless of. And I think if you want to see an interesting breakdown of uh, punk mentality, it's briefly talked about in Sid and Nancy. But to me, I kind of think of something like SLC punk, where like it's very much divided groups, where you've got like straight edge, you've got mods, yeah. you've got. Like, so, but I mean, like, there's kind of a little bit, there's actually a scene, it's like, it, it, they're showing, I think it's the Sex Pistols playing, and then they, the the camera moves up, and like, we're, we're we're looking at a balcony, and there's a lady that's, um, feeding her baby, who's got a bright green mohawk, a bottle, and then there's like, uh, two people talking, I think it's a, it's a black gentleman, and he's talking about, like, how he doesn't want to be a punk anymore, and I think the woman asks him, "Well, like, what are you gonna be?" And I think it got it, it got to the point where,
0: yeah, he goes, "I want to be a rude boy."
1: Yes, that's exactly what he says, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I wonder." I, I'm like, I wonder if this guy's gonna to grow. Like, are we watching like a young tricky or? Are we watching like oh. one, of the, one of the members of Massive Attack? Like, is that who he's going to oh. be? <laughs> like, I would love that. That would be great. Wouldn't well, that be interesting? Uh, wouldn't that be an interesting tidbit? In? Cool. They'd be like, "Yes, Tricky's backstory is oh. that he decided to be a
0: rude boy." In Sydney. The incident. The very cool thing about a bunch of my friends that I'm hanging out with there, and we go to like, these park rock shows. I'm thinking that there are just to be only the one type of music, and that's it. Uh, but it really kind of made me laugh and maybe surprised that a few of my friends, they're beaten to ABBA, and what? they love, like, 60s girl groups, um, or they just have, or they're beaten to like, reggae, or uh, they love Daft Punk. I'm like, oh, I thought you guys were just into just one type of music, and I uh, know, we we like all types of music, actually. You know, we we're, we dress in the, you know, the punk and the goth fashion just because that's what we feel the most comfortable with. Um, but, you know, we're just into, like, all types of things. Um, and even when you hear, like, Nancy talking about her love of Blondie, uh, actually, when, when I finished finished watching this, I went back and started watching, like, other groups of the 70s, like, not only just Blondie, uh, but I found a live video of the B-52s and just what a fun time to be in the late 70s and all these new bands coming up there, like, the Talking Heads. Right. Um, and the clash and a whole bunch of the bands just be very exciting to be in that time and just having different elements. Plus you have the beginning of like rap happening in the late seventies and disco was going on at the time. Um just all these different genres of music. And I think that's sort of different between now and back then because for popular radio Back in the 70s and 80s, you had different genres of music to listen to, especially for popular radio, and it doesn't seem that way now. It just seems that everything is just one genre, in a way.
1: Here's the thing. It's very much... I don't know how you feel as a musician, but it almost seems insulting to to ask a band to classify their music um and I could see I've seen like people get you know musicians get irritable they're just like well why why can't we just be whatever insert band name here why do we need to like why do you need to put us in the in these boxes of something like um I'll just use this as an example one of my all time favorite bands probably actually my number one favorite band of all time is uh faith no more and oh, oh nice uh-huh. I was gonna so w- in nineteen eighty nine they they blew up with with epic and mm-hmm. they were they were quickly labeled funk metal or rap like they were like early rap rock and i they like because of all these like labels being thrown at them they they consciously just like went against the grain and then released i uh, which i think is i think Kerrang magazine labeled it like the most influential rock record of all time angel dust in 1992 which is just a masterpiece of an album, they consciously just said, you know what? You're going to throw this funk metal label at us. Here you go. Like, chew, <clears throat> chew on this for a bit because you're not going... The elements are still there in some of the songs, but they're just like, you know what? We're going to have to... We're consciously having to go against the grain because of the way that people are viewing us and the way that... Journalists after the fact are, are like, well, how do I sum up what this band is? I'm just gonna come up. Well, there's it's there's some funky bass, and the singer's rapping, but then he's singing, so it's like, like why can't it just be, you know, Faith No More? Why do why does, it, there. Why does it need to be? Uh, so like I can imagine asking like, why can't we just be the Sex Pistols? Why do we have to be punk? And then. I, it's t- it, this will this ties into the movie because a band like the clash i mean when i think punk i i love the clash but i i i don't think of them as a punk group not that they don't have punk influences or co- if somebody says that they're you know they're punk that's fine but to me i think of the Ramones, I think of the New York Dolls, I think of the Dead Kennedys, I think of the Damned, Damned, right, Fear, bands like that, to me, because this is another criticism from Johnny Rotten, and again, we're we're gonna get back to Sid and Nancy. Joe Strummer from The Clash wrote four or five songs that are in Sid and Nancy. All the... Like, there's a scene in the recording studio with Sid and Nancy, um, and everyone else has left the studio. And, like, in the background, you're not hearing the Sex Pistols. You're hearing, like, a, you're hearing pretty much a reggae song. And that's Joe, that's Joe Strummer. He did... Okay. He was... his uh The record label or management would only allow him to write two songs for the movie... But he ended up writing four or five, and Alex Cox, like, all, all of them. So if you watch the end credits, and you get to the point where where um, it, the music section of the end credits, where it says, like, the name of the song and the band and all that, you're going to see a lot of made-up names, because they had to, um, <clears throat> in order to get around the labels, uh, you know, being say, saying that Joe Strummer could only do two songs so they just like made up band names and and people oh, so i mean so oh. so one of the criticisms of the movie is that one of the criticisms johnny rotten has is that like why like of all the people to go to to do he's like why the guy from the clash like that does that doesn't make sense I- I
0: think Johnny Rotten is one of those characters, and I've seen other interviews for him. The dude's just never happy. I mean, he could have had, like, the best orgasm ever and complain <laughs> about that, all right? Or he could have, like, the best food ever and complain about that. Just, dude, it's just never ha- I mean, I love the songs that he wrote. Uh, I love songs that he did with uh, Public Image Limited I was going to say, fun.
1: PIL is great. Is, is, is- really good stuff if people haven't checked that out. Um
0: it's he's a great songwriter, great singer, but I would never wanna have him over anywhere. No. I would not wanna be with them anywhere or talk to him about anything because <laughs> it could be a great day outside and everything's going great. Uh it would be a perfect day. Uh you know, we no longer have uh the COVID around Women got the rights back. Everything is just back to normal. Everything's going great. And he would find something to complain about. Sure. He'd be like, I don't like that dog over there. That dog's got fleas. And yeah. all those fleas are going to be on me. But the, like, the dog's way over there.
1: Yeah, right. It's
0: hamburger. I don't know about this hamburger. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have the right uh, mustard. I want on there. Like, why'd you order with a fucking mustard, Johnny? Just take the hamburger back. What do you want?
1: So in, in in hindsight, though, Alex Cox said that, you know, him condemning the movie was was one of the best things that could have happened because. Sure. I mean, do you really like it's almost it would be because that's that's the punk. That's kind of, again, you know, after me condemning labels, I'm going to have to just say, I mean, that's kind of the punk attitude to have if he yeah. gave this movie like like it and like so you pick up the the blu-ray on the cover it says like two thumbs up from Johnny Rotten you're gonna be like, really like uh, so like the yeah. fact that he condemned it is is great um I think the reason that my personal thoughts because I watched an interview with Johnny Rotten about this movie. Is he was before the Sex Pistols? They 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 were friends back when they were like sixteen and seventeen before the Sex Pistols were a thing, um, which is not something that gets brought up very often. Johnny Light and Johnny Rotten and 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 Sid or Simon or Sydney, as he was, you know, referred to, they were good friends. They were mates, as you would say if you were in Britain. They were they were really really good friends. So I think that what happened is i think reflecting on the movie is that he kind of went through this 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 period of reflection of what could i have done to have saved my friend cuz you got to figure you're watching like the demise, you're watching your friend self destruct on screen in front of you that's got to be yeah. hard that's got to be hard to watch and True. as as much as like it's fictionalized this, a lot of this stuff really, really happened, and we're gonna get into the, the ending of this movie, where, I mean, so, I could see why, I, I, I think, I think that he would have just been satisfied, um, with the, old, like, the old phrase, let sleeping dogs lie, like, why do, why do you need to make a movie about one of my dear friends who's passed away, like,
0: I can see the anger about that because someone made a movie about you know uh, a good friend of mine that one of the bands that I was in or started to be in uh one of my good friends yeah died and uh it was definitely due to other things that I'm not going to right now but sure. he died at a very young age sure. and if someone made up pick about him because he was a brilliant guitarist But yeah, he he did drink a lot, right? Um, And we're not exactly sure if that was the reason why he died or not. Uh, But it could have been a thing, and we really couldn't do much for him, and we really didn't know how bad things were and whatnot. Yeah, I just made a thing and they trivialized certain things, or uh, just made him look to be one type of way. Where in reality he was a lot more than that. Right. I could see that. I could see the anger, especially for one of your best friends, and totally get that right there. Like I said before, I know nothing about Sid Vicious. Right. I'm just just from the context of the movie itself, the movie itself doesn't really paint him in the best light. No. I really would like the only time it paints Sid Vicious in a good light is when he's at Some sort of like diner in the middle of nowhere next to this dump. I have no idea where this place is, but I can't imagine this place did any type of business whatsoever because you have this diner in the middle of like nowhere. Oh, the the, pizza—the
1: pizza shop in the wasteland.
0: And that you got these kids dancing to like disco and I know that was a big thing too how a bunch of people were really against disco and if you listen to disco you're not hardcore you're not punk um and I like the fact that when he comes out to the kids and the kids like come on sit dance you know stop being so rude all the time just stop being a mm-hmm. jerk and just come on just have fun and dance and you see a bit of happiness coming into him mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like he could be generally happy. And this takes place after uh, Nancy Spurgeon's death. Uh, and then you have the car pull up, the cab car, and you have Nancy inside there. And I imagine that's supposed to be a metaphor, or his addiction. That no matter what happens, his addiction is always going to be there, and that's basically his tragic downfall. Um, But I do think that there are elements and moments of, like, happiness. And I kind of wish I would have saw more of that in this feature. Because from what I saw in this, and Dorothy Brown, Gary Oldman does an amazing job in this movie. uh, He's just high a bunch of the times. Sure. High or drunk. And that's the only two type of characters I see. Yes, I know that he loves Nancy. But also at times it feels like you could just love anyone that's there, and that's it,
1: so I think that actually one and i a, a, you just brought up a couple things that came to mind um I think that one of the most touching scenes in the movie is the first time they sleep together, Nancy starts like in the middle of the night starts um. getting dressed to get ready to go and Sid says stop you know like what are you doing and she goes don't you want me to leave and he goes no like I want you to stay and I think that that's like a really touching scene it's very short it's very brief but she's so used to kind of be like being used by these people just as a sex object and then like after you know after the deed is done she puts on her clothes and leaves but sid says no stay and like they cuddle so like i
0: i, I cut off for a minute there you hear me okay oh yeah, yeah
1: yeah
0: um okay i'll be i'll be completely messed up by by it, it happened what i talked about where the browser kind of resets so
1: Oh yeah no 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 worries we're all good um so okay, I, I to was make sure just your still good. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Um All right, cool okay. Uh, so yeah, I was just saying that like to your point about the, seeing their their relationship, I was just saying that, that 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 was a touching scene where, you know, sure. she thinks it's time to go because that's what she's used to from everyone else that she's been with and he's like, "No, stay." Um so we do get that and there are moments There's, I mean, another thing about this movie is that it at times can be very, very funny. One of one of my favorite scenes is that Nancy's calls up her, her mom to tell her that she got married and she goes, Why don't you send us a wedding present? And she's like, We don't need sheets. Just like send us two hundred dollars. And then, like, you don't hear what the mom says, but she's just like, no, we're not going to use it on drugs, and hangs up the phone, and she goes, we think... My mom thinks we would use all the money on drugs, and he just goes, we would. (laughs) So it's kind of like, it's just like, okay, like... So, I mean, there are elements of... of There are very, very funny elements. I mean, and towards the end, the humor obviously wouldn't it, the the humor wouldn't be appropriate for the end of this movie and the the movie ends with um well we'll we'll get into it but to the point to the so i the scene with the pizza place in the middle of nowhere that the whole ending of this movie is completely well, there are elements of truth. Apparently, one of when when Sid so what happened was Nancy Sturgeon was found dead in their Chelsea hotel, and she would, she had she bled out from a single stab wound to the abdomen, and obviously, Sid was the the number one suspect because he was the only one in the room when she was found now the 24 hours leading up to that there were a couple people in and out of their hotel room which was why he was eventually released because there was some question over what might have happened because from a a report of somebody else that was living in the hotel at the time, you know, he was an up-and-coming screenwriter, and he was living in the Chelsea Hotel, and had visited, him and his girlfriend had visited Sid and Nancy, you know, prior to the stabbing, and, you know, they said, I think he said that they smoked some pot, and they they traded drugs, like, they traded some pills and and stuff like that, and he, you know, when he eventually, you know, at some point, it came out that there was a shady drug dealer, which we do see a shady drug dealer in this movie that kind of, who's in, who's, you know, who's getting high with Sid and Nancy, but there's a scene with this, this shady drug dealer And he's kind of talking to Sid, like, why? Like, I don't get it, man. Like, why are you hanging out with her? All she does is bring you down. So, what happened was, you know, the police were unsure exactly. The knife had been wiped off. um, So, there were no fingerprints. There was a lot of confusion and false reports that. Sid had confessed to stabbing her, which apparently he never did. I think the first um, the first cop on the scene um, might have uh, made up some stories or something like that so there was a lot of mystery and confusion around Nancy Nancy's death and the record label. Uh, paid a great deal of money to finally get Sid out on, you know, out on bail before he could, you know... That,
0: that is... That is fascinating to you know, hear this. Uh, I know there's a sequence earlier in the film where they are doing some shopping, and their camera is on focusing on this shop, and it zooms in with these knives in the windows, and yeah. Angie's like, we should get these.
1: I think she and says we... Can, no, That's I foreshadowing
0: think, their I, death, right?
1: I think she says, I don't think she says we should get these. I think she says we need these, which is even yeah. more of foreshadowing. And because I think his response was like, why? But there's scenes where, like, you know, I, th- I think that. So again, I'm only going off of what I've heard. It was very well known that they had very explosive, very loud fights that would get quite violent and loud, and it was basically kind of common knowledge that when these two were fighting, the entire hotel could hear, which is also which also lends precedence to people doubting that it was actually Sid that stabbed Nancy because people were saying well if if he stabbed her we all would have heard it because both of them would have been screaming at the top of their lungs so again there is a lot of mystery a lot of confusion so what happened was you know the 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 record label had invested a great deal in in Sid so they they wanted him they they were still banking on him as uh kind of a hot commodity that they could, you know, for lack of a better word, exploit. But I digress. So they, they put in a great deal of money for his legal defense. So he was out on bail, ready to face trial, and ultimately ended up dying of a heroin er- overdose. Um, and just to add to the, like, the disgusting nature of what happened, it was apparently heroin given to him by his own mother, and, you know, Sid overdosed and died, and later, conveniently, months after his death, his mom found, and I say conveniently because it, it just, it's, it's weird, uh, found a suicide note that kind of stated that they had a a death pack that if one of them died, they were both going to die. And the end of the movie is, so apparently the story is that when, when Sid was released from jail after being held and questioned and, and, and everything he did ask. And I guess it's such a flippant comment that that's kind of why it got remembered was that he asked, the cop on the way out, where can I get a pizza? Which is kind of like, all right, this guy just got out of prison for, you know, he's being charged with killing his girlfriend and his mm-hmm. only questions to the cops are where can I get a pizza? And then the end it of the does, bo-
0: Hey, you get hungry, right? You, know, you, got- you just you, you commit some crimes right there. You might've killed your girlfriend. Uh, you may be facing, you know, a lot of jail time. You want a good slice of pizza. Right. Until I get it.
1: <laughs> so the end of the movie is this this pizza place in a wasteland. There's nothing else around it. He's eating pizza, it, it, and he hears... That's a metaphor of his life,
0: right? Everything's, he's living in the wasteland, but maybe there's, like, one bit of happiness there.
1: That's the pizza.
0: Right. The pizza is supposed to represent his love. He loves pizza. He loves Nancy.
1: Right. I, I, I think that's what it... Yeah. And then we hear... Which is odd. I I, I, yep. I can't see four or five little black kids listening to Casey and the Sunshine Band, but that's what we get. And they they're all dancing and getting down. And they ask Sid to dance, and like he dances. And then a a taxi cab pulls up out of nowhere, and we see we see Nancy. And like a wedding it's I, I'm not sure if it's a wedding dress that's kind of the, the the kind of thing that's kind of the vibe that I got though it's an all-white pretty dress and I I from Alex Cox what he was saying is that this was them fulfilling their their love pact their death pact like that this this taxi was going to take both of them to heaven that was that was what he was trying to say when you know he looks into the back of the taxi cab we never see who's driving the cab but we see Nancy in the back seat and they embrace and she looks beautiful and she doesn't look strung out she looks clean she looks you know her eyes are clear like and you kind of see that they're, they're they get that one last kiss the one last embrace and then the taxi car drives off and you know that, that that's kind of like what the metaphor they was. have
0: their grease moment they do yes where the, the but just the the car doesn't rise up and they don't sing we'll be together shoot up heroin like their fathers did 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 oh, sorry
1: <laughs> yeah they do they they get their little they get the little grease moment and um so yeah like it's and like I said, we started the episode with the the tagline for the movie was "Love Kills," and they were just kind of saying that they they were so, they were both so like chaotic. They were just both like agents of chaos that they were going to 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 burn out very very quickly, you know. But while while they were alive, they. You know, they live... They
0: burn They burn bright. You yes, know. They, yes. Their, their, their flame, you know, faded. I, they, they didn't fade out. They just had this big, bright flame uh, that exploded. Um, and ladies and for kudos again to Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb or playing these roles, uh, there were some actually alternate casting.
1: Yes, like to hear about that I was actually just about to bring up the alternate casting who do you want to start with do you want to start with Sid or do you want to start with Nancy
0: well I mean I, I do you know what the original we're gonna cast
1: uh, it a well, physicist? it was it came down the casting director came up with two people for Alex Cox um keep in mind this was uh 19 it was probably filmed in 85 so uh, an unknown. Daniel Day-Lewis and yep. and a relatively unknown Gary Oldman. Those were the two that the casting director came to. And as much as I like Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan and as much as he kind of says that he's not particularly proud of this performance, we got to keep in mind this was I believe his first theatrical movie if I'm not mistaken. Um
0: believe you're right, because, I mean, I only first saw Gary Oldman in the movie A Professional, a.k.a. Leon. That was probably the first movie I ever saw that actor. And I thought that he did such a good job playing this very high-strung uh, police detective who gets high a lot, and he's very loud and boisterous. I'm like, who the hell is this actor? Then I saw him again in The Fifth Element, and I like, oh, and then, looking back, you know, I remember him from True Romance and like, Oh, that's right, True Romance and that Netflix. He was so good as Drexel in that. Yep. And it wasn't until later I went back to see St and Nancy and I oh all right. Yeah, I can definitely see a lot of like uh Acting nuances that he has would be later developed into other characters. And I think Jared Olbin is an actor that should have won an Oscar years before he actually did. Uh, He just really, when he gets into a character, he really gets into a character. And I don't get me wrong, I think Daniel D. Lewis would have been an alright actor... But I think that Daniel D. Lewis would be a little bit too afraid to go into the really dark side of Sid Vicious that Gary Oldman did, and I just cannot picture anyone but him doing this part. Uh, very interested to see who the actor is in the new series on FX, played by Danny Boyle. Uh, but yeah, I think Geraldine is just iconic in this role.
1: Yep, yeah, my my fear would be that. Daniel Day-Lewis being the the method actor that he is he, he might have like come out of this movie actually being addicted to heroin that would be yeah. my con- that would be my concern I'd be like <laughs> oh dear what have I done like <laughs> you know uh, I, I think yes they're both very very talented actors uh, yeah and again it came down to um, these two and you know I, I gotta say that as much as I would like to have seen an alternate universe where we get to see Daniel Day Lewis as as Sid Vicious, I, I I really like Gary Oldman's performance in it. And I know Oldman is not particularly fond of his performance. It's not that he's not proud of the performance. He says that he doesn't think that he um he played Sid very well. And again, we gotta give I mean, this was very, very early on in his career. So I mean, we we as an audience are cutting you some slack, like. But again, the the worst critic is your is yourself. I I guess is kind of is at least for in my case, like the biggest critic of me is me. So you know, yeah. I I get it. I get it. Um, I, uh, speaking of Nancy. Uh, someone that was up for the role, Miss Courtney Love, who is actually in the yeah, movie. She, She's actually in the movie. Um, she
0: plays Gretchen. Yeah, she just she recorded a video audition, and cast was very impressed by love's audition. Uh, but the investors wanted to have a more experienced actor, which I get. I mean, Courtney Love has never really acted in a movie before, and. Courtney Love uh, actually has shown her action shops very well in the People vs. Larry Flint she's excellent as in well as, I, I she, the movie
1: I think she I think she won some awards and deservedly so she's excellent in that movie just uh, great
0: performance I think she actually like won Golden Globe and uh, I kind of was hoping that she would kind of like to tack onto that, but it's so weird talking about Courtney Love because I think her relationship with Kirk Cobain is almost, in a way, Miriam said and Nancy
1: in a way. I was gonna, like, say, I was gonna say, after you know, in hindsight, again, we're talking nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six, Nirvana hadn't happened yet. So, but in hindsight, I'm like. Wow. If it wasn't because Chloe Webb is excellent in the role, and for people that say, oh my God, the character of Nancy is so annoying, you gotta understand that th- we have a very talented actress that is just doing her job. Her job is to portray Nancy, and that's from all accounts, the The Nancy we get on screen is is, is pretty damn close to the Nancy in real life. So... I mean, we've got a talented actress doing a very, very good job. But on the other hand, if if she wasn't playing the role, I easily easily could see Courtney love doing it. Like I I 100%. I I don't think she'd have, you know, n- no offense, she, she's never going to hear this, so it doesn't matter. Uh I I could see her just like not really having to act all that much. If you yeah. know if you know what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> So,
0: That's
1: yeah. That's true. Um, uh, so, before. It's before, weird, too,
0: because this is both uh, Chloe Webb's and Jerry uh Kind of like, uh, well, not their first movie. They've been in other movies before, but this is the first movie where they started to uh, get a lot of, um, I guess, notice. I mean, Chloe Webb, uh, she won awards at the National Society of Film Credits and the Boston Society of Film Credits. Uh, and she got third place in the New York Film Critics uh, Circle as well for her role as Nancy in this. Um, and that's pro- And then she has been nominated for a few Emmys, but. Uh, and she has appeared in other movies, including Ghostbusters 2 and uh, the. Uh, yeah, one's called. Uh, I just saw it on here uh, The Dutton Boys, Practical Magic. She's been in other movies, but just nothing has garnered her much more awards than this. And right. I think that if Courtney Love was cast in this, she probably would have gotten some, you know, recollection. But then I think this success would have gone much more to her head, and she would have taken drugs a lot earlier and what she has now. It's really kind of strange because a lot of the later elements of Courtney Love's life seems to mirror Nancy's in a way, but also not because Courtney Love didn't die of a drug overdose and I think she has become clean now, from what I understand. Uh, but there was a moment, uh, especially after the death of uh, Kirk Cobain, where uh, she did get to be on drugs again. She kind of cleaned herself up. Uh, and then has a downfall as well it, it's really kind of a weird thing like i said before I, and i'm sure there probably will come out uh our kurt and courtney biopic movie i would be surprised because uh, everyone's saying that courtney love is the one that you know killed kurt and i don't believe that at all i believe it was really kind of tragic what happened to them and i know that she loved kurt very much um but there's always that element where people think that she's the one that has downfall. So it, it, it's kind of fascinating. That's the weird thing, too, whenever you're doing these sort of like biopic movies, uh, is that you're getting your information through many different sources, and you really have no clue of what's real or what's not because they're written by new supporters and they're never really written by the people that knew them the best, and even the people that know them the best, maybe they're just trying to, like, honor their friends' names so they will, like, hold back certain information, and it's just, it's hard to speculate.
1: Right. I mean, that's really what everyone should keep in mind when watching a so-called biopic, that what you're watching is going to be somewhat fictionalized, and it's going to be put through a lot of different filters, through a lot of different people, so, you know, we're not watching a documentary here. And before we start wrapping up, uh, we should mention that there is um, currently airing on FX a Sex Pistols uh, miniseries about the band, which is getting very good reviews, and is actually based on a book by the guitarist Steve Jones. And so it's much more in line of telling the entire story of the Sex Pistols and not focusing solely on Sid Vicious. Because apart from a couple scenes here and there, uh, the only two members of the Sex Pistols that get any real screen time are, you know, Sid Vicious and Johnny Ron. So um but I haven't seen the series yet and Vern you haven't seen it yet, have you?
0: I have I have not. I just okay. know that I saw ads saying that it's from uh uh Danny, Danny Boyle, Boyle Right who right. did Train and uh Some Dark Millionaire um and Sunshine he did twenty days later. Uh but yeah
1: we covered uh, on my show. We covered his uh, his very first movie, Shallow Grave, which is oh uh, so great, yeah. If, if for those of you who haven't seen Shallow Grave, watch Shallow Grave, and then go back into the archives of the Cold Film Companion and listen to us talk about the genius of Shallow Grave. So
0: I even love uh, Lifeless Ordinary, and a lot of people don't really care much for that movie, but I genuinely love Lifeless Ordinary.
1: Okay, you you uh, well. You're in the minority there, I mean there's just, That's two, fair enough. There's I, just I don't... two there's just there's <laughs> just two of us talking, but you're yeah. so it's fifty fifty on that one if we were Siskel and ebert we a uh, life less ordinary would get one i mean it's it's definitely watchable uh but it's not something I think I'd ever want to rewatch as opposed to something like shallow grave or twenty eight days later. Uh, those movies, and Sunshine. I think Sunshine is very underrated from Danny Boyle. Uh, We should probably get back to Sid and Nancy, though. Let's start... Sorry about
0: that. Let's start... I I would ask you about the... Because I looked at the cast here of the show Pistol. Uh, Lewis Partridge plays Sid Vicious, um, and that's all I really recognize of the cast.
1: Okay. I think they (laughs) went the route of relatively unknown people mm. I mean because we're talking about a series yeah. we're not talking about a movie here so we're talking about a series oh but I think that you know I've heard nothing but good things about it other than from what Johnny Rotten is saying but then again as we as we discussed earlier I mean what what do, would you really want Johnny Rotten's seal of approval no you, you don't no you don't so okay, I
0: went until like, I talked about every type of product ever from now on you're if right. Guy Rotten says, this is the worst than ever, I will probably think it's the best thing ever. He'll probably say, everything ever all at once is just complete garbage. Why does everyone like that movie? I'm like, oh, dude, it's the best movie of the year. Sweet face, Johnny. I right.
1: appreciate that. I'm. You know what I, you know, you just mentioned that. You know what I want to see now? I want to see the Johnny Rotten Old Spice for Men body wash commercial. Where he's like, it's, <laughs> it's bloody piss water is what it is. I'd be like, awesome, I'm gonna go get some Old Spice body wash now because Johnny Rotten called it piss water. Like, that's – so, yeah. um, So, uh, Vern, thank you so much. Let's start wrapping things up. Oh, sure. Anything that we're missing here? I think we covered a great deal of um, Sid and Nancy here, but um, anything that I'm forgetting – Here's the kind of funny thing, too. Uh, I
0: do know that Alex Cotts, after he made this movie, he was trying to develop a film version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, he was. That he was right in and he was going to be home to direct the movie. Um, But then there were issues with the studio and Terry Gilliam got brought in to... Uh, work on the script, and I guess there was some falling out where Alice Cotts wasn't going to get any screen rated credits for it, uh, but it got worked out, and he is credited as, you know, helping to write the adaptation of Hunter Thompson's novel. Uh, And I think it's a wise choice. I think that Terry Gilliam was probably the better choice to direct that movie, because I think that Fear the Loathing in Las Vegas, the book and the movie... I think that Gilliam just does a really great job of adapting that book into film. Uh, I think Alex Kotz would be brought on board. Uh, Alex Kotz wouldn't be able to use the fantastical elements I was, that Terry Gilliam have used, so...
1: I think the extravagant visuals of Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas is what, re- what Gilliam was able to capture... To me, Alex Cox is very good with characters and with dialogue. Right. I don't you see, like the not to say that his movies aren't visually very, very you know, like visually very pleasing to watch. There, there's some great visuals there, but I don't get the sense of the absurd visuals that Terry Gilliam embraced. So yeah, I I and I could go on my my little tirade about my my issue with the whole screenwriting process. Uh I I have my own thoughts on on that, but that that I'm go, I'm saving that for the fear and loathing episode that we we Fair will enough. eventually get it, get to. Um Yeah, but Alex Cox is someone that uh you know, he made these movies that were very, very critically received, but didn't do blockbuster numbers, he's kind of, he's really flown under the radar, like, a lot of his movies lately are, like, micro-budget movies that, like, very independent, and he's currently teaching, he currently teaches film, um, I only know this because of the Repo Man episode, but the exact university where he where he teaches film is escaping me at the moment. Somewhere on the west coast, though. Um, but he's still, you know, he's still every once in a while you see an Alex Cox movie come out. Unfortunately, from what I've seen, it he's never really kind of like he, his two, in my opinion, um, best movies. W- are Repo Man and Sid and Nancy. To me... Um, yeah,
0: because uh, I have not seen any other movies on his filmography. Uh, the only ones that I recognize are the Repo Man, Sid and Nancy, and his collaboration with The Fear and Loathing and Las Vegas Script. Uh, he has a movie called Repo Chick.
1: Yeah, that's a in-name-only sequel to Repo Man, which I've seen and it's not good. Like no, oh. it's not good. Um, maybe I Bill would... the classic hero Bill, the yeah, classic hero
0: Goomstone Rashomon. Um, I'm trying to think. There is he just doing like straight, uh, like you know, Asylum knockoff movies now.
1: Kind of. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> um, but oh man, there is. I will recommend... Hold on, I'm just pulling it up right now. I will recommend one other Alex Cox movie, though. One second. Uh, da, 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 da. Straight to Hell Returns. Oh, nope, two more. Walker, from 1987, starring which actually recently had a Criterion release. Walker is very, very good. Straight to Hell Returns, not as good as Walker, Sid and Nancy and Repo Man, but well worth a watch. Straight to Hell Returns started out as an actual, after doing Sid and Nancy, he wanted to do a punk documentary kind of following, um, I think the Clash had broken up at that point, or at least uh, they had lost a bunch of members. But it does, it stars uh, Joe Strummer, I wanna say the Iggy pops in it. And um yeah, Straight to Hill Returns is a fictional movie. Um it but it had its roots, started out as a, a documentary about punk bands on the road. And Walker okay. Walker is another biopic of um Um William Walker, who was a nineteenth century American mercenary. Who become who became the president of Nicaragua and stars a young Ed Harris as William Walker, so those two I would recommend. I mean, after that, no offense, Alex Cox, those four, you should have called it a day. <laughs> hey, uh, but
0: you no, know, it's funny too, because, you know, all filmmakers want to make you know their probably one great movie, and some directors don't even have. One great movie, the repertoire. This guy has lays, like, you know, two or three. Uh Ripple true, Man true. probably being the number one movie, probably be the movie that he's most recognized for. Mm-hmm. Uh Sid Nancy probably becoming that second place. I have not seen the other movies here. Um I, I do know like another good like uh punk rock movie to watch uh would be The Smithereens.
1: I got that. The criterion here Um, to match the Smithereens, I would say another great English punk rock movie is a movie called Jubilee from 1978, I believe, which is the fantastical story of Queen Elizabeth the first or the second who has her um, court magician as you would transport her to the 1970s where she is engulfed in a punk rock rebellion by a guerrilla group of women and it is yes so we've got english nobles traveling through time to modern day punk london it that is an absolute blast great musical performances uh Lots of what's that called? Jubilee. I'll, I'll, Jubilee, okay. I'll send you, I'll send you the IMDB link. Yeah. Check it out. Um, another great criterion movie. Um, very punk rock. I was actually going to bring it up early in the episode cause I get a lot of vibes, a lot of Sid and Nancy vibes from Jubilee. I would not. And again, we're talking about an underground English director. It would not surprise me that Jubilee had a big influence on Sid and Nancy uh, in terms of, of of Alex Cox um probably being familiar with the the you know coming from the uh, kind of underground uh, movie scene of England, so um another one I would recommend
0: would be ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous scenesens okay young Diana Lane and Laura Dern about uh, a group of teenage girls want to start their own rock band and it features real life roles from Steve Jones and Paul Kirk of the Set's Pistols in it and also Paul Seven from The Clash and uh, Vince Wilnick and Faye Wheelbill from The Tubes uh, but yeah it came out in the early 80s uh, very fun movie about these girls that want to start their own female rock band but everyone's kind of against it because they're girls and the girls don't know how to rock and it's fun.
1: One more time for the audience what's, the, what's that title? Uh,
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains. directed uh, awesome. by Lou Elder, uh and I said before, yeah, Laura Dern, Diane Lane, are the main person and people in this feature. But yeah, it's it's good.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, so me and Vern, recommend you all do a punk marathon of Jubilee, the the Smithereens, Sid and Nancy, and ladies and gentlemen, the the last word is escaping. <laughs> Fabulous stains. Thank you. That sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like a hell of a punk rock movie marathon right there.
0: Also, you got to put in there too, the decline of Western civilization by Penelope Spears.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um. A- actually anything by Penelope, uh, early Penelope, Penelope Spears, uh, suburbia, is very, very good. Not to, be conf- watch that. not to be confused with the other movie called Suburbia from the 90s. They have similar aesthetics. Suburbia from the 90s is a bunch of kids hanging outside of a convenience store. Uh, Suburbia in the 80s is um, a kid that runs away from home and instead of joining the circus, joins a, a, a little punk outfit. So, yeah. I um, think both
0: are on their Criterion channel too, because I know the one from the '90s, directed by Richard Linklater.
1: Right, 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 right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah th- so the, actually, the two Suburbias actually make for a very interesting double feature to kind of God, pro- you got the whole
0: eight- day of punk rock features. Yeah, you're,
1: I mean, yeah. Was- <laughs> we 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 could program like a 24-hour marathon of punk movies, and a more recent um, uh, what I think is going to be. A, a future cult classic. Um, the movie Green Room is probably you mo- ran my mind. Is the most I was just about to say that is a badass punk movie. <laughs> um, very much so. So the only rule I have for my show, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the episode can't run longer than the movie. And unfortunately, Vern, we're getting very close to that time. So very bad. It's fair. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so we have a lot
0: to talk about here.
1: Um. Why don't you just tell everyone once again about Cinema Recall and we'll, we'll start wrapping this, these things up.
0: Well, you can check out Cinema Recall. Usually we have our live shows every Tuesday, but we post our audio episodes every Friday. We are getting ready to record our 200th episode, and that's going to be a lot of fun. I've got a couple of guest spots coming up. Me and Ashley are going to be on the Reels of Justice podcast coming out, where I am defending the remake of Footloose against the original. Oh, dear. So... Yeah, that's so a... I'm going to be in court for that. Uh, As well you and... should be. Yes, I know. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I've got after, uh after of us. But for Cinema Recall, uh, we are just planning to do more shows. We're probably changing our format. Uh, we do have a guest coming up here soon. We're hoping to – we have uh, – our next big guest will be Jill javarchez the director of The Stylist. She's going to be coming on our show here soon. Uh, We are planning an event right now. Planning an event to help benefit women's health rights. Uh, That's going to be happening hopefully sometime in August. So we're trying to put the plans together for a screening event here in the Twin Cities. And just doing more things. We're going to be up at conversions uh in the middle of august uh but and before, we have many episodes at our website CinemaRecall.net. uh find us on twitter at cinema underscore recall and uh come check us out we have just a, a lot of fun and i hope you do too
1: again thank you Vern, for joining me this is chris from thank the you. cult film companion oh it was my pleasure and thank you chris um, So please check out Cinema Recall. All the info for Vern and the show will be in the episode description. I thank you all for joining me for another episode of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. I'll be back very shortly with another little gem of a movie that I'm trying to bring out of obscurity. So thanks again for tuning in.